So what's like the premise of this podcast? Uh, so we just, I just find people in all different walks of life to come on and to share their story mm-hmm. and like what they do and shit like that. And, you know, I came across your page and I was like, you know what, let me send her a message. And here we are. And I want to say, <laughs> I want to say thank you uh, for reaching back to me because reaching out back to me because I didn't even think about it. Like your, your DMs probably might have a bunch of like dick pics and shit in them. You know, <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even think about that. So appreciate oh. you re- looking at your DM. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so normally, like, I'll just peruse, like, maybe once every few weeks, my DMs, and I just see it like it's a bunch of crap. Like, I don't really see a lot of dick pics, but that's because if I click to open a DM, it has like another barrier that'll be like, do you want to open this photo? And I'm just like, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's just, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of people who just send a message that says, hi, hey, what's up? What's up, sexy? You know, and I just ignore them all because, because <laughs> like, yeah. I, so I, I honestly, I barely use Instagram. I have an assistant who makes the posts for me and I just don't see a lot of like benefit from it, to be honest. Like, I'm not sure how many people who, you know, like, you know, leave a heart emoji on the comments of my fucking Instagram that also cross over and purchase the products that I sell. Like, I don't think that's a thing that's really happening very much, but it does seem important to like maintain an Instagram just for like a presence, you know, like a, like a legitimizing presence. Um, so, so there's that. And then, yeah, I guess like when I see a, the message begin with like, Hey, I run a podcast, or would you be interested? You know, then I'll click on it. Like if I see something that's beyond just like, what's up, baby, you know, I'll click to see what it's about. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Cause it might be something worthwhile, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, how did you get, how did you start in um, porn? Oh, are we recording right now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, my bad. Sorry. That's okay. Um, all right. So how did I start in porn? Uh, I basically, you know, I was a performer uh, from the time that I was probably like four or five in the sense of I was always wanting to like be in front of a camera or be on stage. I did um, theater, music singing, dancing, musical theater, all my entire young life. And my father was like a drama teacher. So from the get-go, he was always just really encouraging those like aspects of myself. And um, so I was always, yeah, had a flair for the dramatic. And uh, when I kind of came around the age of puberty, you know, I was just, the idea was really intriguing to me to be a porn star, to work in porn. So. that's what I talked about all the time. And then I wanted to be a stripper. Um, it just seemed really like an exotic adventurous lifestyle, uh, when I was, when I was younger. And so I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so yeah. And so just like when I became of age to where I could legally take my clothes off for a living, I just started doing it. And I think, uh, I got into the world of porn because I met a girl when I was working at the strip club. I'd been working at the strip club uh, for about three months. So it was really early in my career. I was uh, 19 and, and um, she said she has a boyfriend who made her a website and that he could make me a website too. And I kind of got involved with them. And then um, 
they took me to my first AVN convention, the big convention here in Vegas uh, in 2003. And when I was there, I met some producers, gave them my card, slowly started. That's basically like how I started making my way into the industry. Um, and then that man, that girl's boyfriend, like he turned out to be one of the most evil, insidious people I think I've ever met on this planet. But, um, but you know, I'm grateful that uh, from having that opportunity of meeting that horrible person, I now have this like awesome career. So. <laughs> Were they in porn also, the guy? The guy, uh, you know, he would film scenes uh, and I actually found out many years later uh, after the girl had finally, thank God, this beautiful young woman uh, was with this just he was a troll. I mean, he was just really disgusting human being. And, and if he was just physically not attractive, that would be one thing. But like his soul was putrid. It mm. was really awful. Um so she had finally left him, I guess, thankfully. And then I just never thought about them again. And then I met a performer years after the fact who said that she knew this guy and that he was pulling things where he was just saying he was a producer. He'd have the girls come over, fuck him just with a camera on. And then he'd be like, oh, I'm going to pay you on payroll. And then they'd never get paid. So, oh, wow. Uh, and then he would just, yeah, probably laugh about it. And he was just a really despicable human being but um so he's like a suitcase pimp that's 100 percent the definition of who he was for sure <laughs> suitcase pimp did he ever get in trouble for that for like doing that to those girls or of course not no damn <laughs> and i mean he told me stories so this is these are the kinds of people um who do get jobs in law enforcement and he actually was a sheriff for uh, riverside county in California at one point prior to me having met him. And he told me some stories about some things. So like, I won't even repeat it, but it's the worst stuff that you could ever possibly imagine. And so, it's yeah. So, it's so crazy. When you think about people, they all start out. We all start out as babies. Cause I'm watching yeah. that show Dahmer right now on Netflix. Oh, I can't wait. And it's like, how does somebody go from a baby to so evil? Yeah. And usually there are so many factors um, in, you know, the whole nature versus nurture debate where, where it kind of feels like it's a combination of things. You know, so there's some genetic components, some trauma components, some environmental components. But especially when you look at someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, because, you know, I think for the most part, it seems that his family life wasn't that bad. I, I think maybe his parents separated or something. I'm, the, the memory is getting a little fuzzy. I I've researched so many serial killers over the years, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just sometimes, you know, someone can have a pretty uh, decent beginning and not suffer a lot of traumas and still turn out to be a, a sociopath. So, yeah, it's just, it's insane. Yeah. Psychology is really fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how people become like that because you never know who you're talking to, like when they're sitting in front of you and they might have like be at home. They're a completely different person, like when they're by themselves or whatever, yeah. you know, Yeah, like that's, it's gotta be, it's, especially for being a woman, like it's gotta be tough for you guys. Like when you guys like meeting somebody and stuff, like going on a date or something, or when y'all did do this, you know, like you never know who's sitting across from you. It's true. Um, there's this common phrase about dating and stuff in that um, men are afraid that women will embarrass them but women are afraid that men will murder them. And mm. that's, that's really just sort of like an inherent dynamic um, 
And I don't like talking about the differences between like highlighting differences between men and women, because I think in a lot of ways, we're all just people. But I, I think, you know, just uh, there can be these differences, of course, uh, especially when you talk about size and strength and these things that just tend to go a certain direction. And yeah. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of things as a man you don't think about, like cause, like being alone, like walking alone or something like that. And then a woman yeah. has to take that in consideration when she goes somewhere. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's just part of being a woman. Um, there's this really amazing episode of this show that Aziz Ansari did on Netflix called um, Master of None. Yeah. I think it was season one. Um where the whole episode, so it's like they've met friends at a bar and then the the guy friend only shakes hands with and says hi to the other men at the table. Uh, I've experienced that fucking countless times, like as though I'm not even there, like I don't count as a person because I have boobs. Um, and then it shows the two groups like leaving the bar and it shows, you know, Aziz and his male friend leaving and it, the music is very like lighthearted and kind of doofy. And they're just like walking down the street in the dark. And then they show her walking and she's like walking quickly with this menacing music. She's got her keys in her finger, you know, to use as like a stabbing device and um, just really highlighting that difference. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the ways that, you know, um, men, I mean, I hate to use this like buzzword that could be misconstrued, but that is the definition of um, male privilege is that you don't ever really even have to consider these things in ways that women have to consider them on a daily, if not an hourly basis. No, you're right on that. That's definitely true. Because I don't think I've ever been scared, like walking around at night or anything like that. I yeah, mean, I, think I, mean, I think you're, you're, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're, you know your surroundings, but it's not like you don't feel like an imminent threat. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the point in talking about these things is just to help, you know, men who maybe don't see that uh, to have like a little more empathy and recognize what that might be like, you know? Yeah. It's like if you start seeing a guy doing something that's fucked up, you should step in, especially if it's somebody, you know, yes. Yes, but even like the little casual things, you know, when you're having conversations with other men and they might say something that's just like, you could be like, oh, well, they're just joking around, you know, or it's just a little misogyny. They don't really mean it. But it's like those little baby tiny things, they just, they add up. And that's what leads to this culture of the patriarchy. <laughs> so how does that work in your industry? Have you noticed a lot of that? Uh, like there's men that do stuff that they shouldn't be doing, like they take it too far. Well, um, so I have been very blessed in my career uh, because, well, for lot, lots and lots of different reasons. But I uh, when I got into the industry, I was already in a long term committed relationship with a, a male. So uh, it just seemed obvious to me that if I was going to do these sex scenes, like I wasn't going to have sex with other men, at least, you know, at the age of 19, like that's where I was at with things, um, 18, 19. So, so I worked my entire career uh, just doing girl, girl scenes and lesbian videos and stuff like that. And um, so I mostly didn't experience a ton of that. I mean, anytime I went to go do a go see with or uh not a go see, but 
like work with an agent and like meet up with an agent who happened to be a man. Um, you know, when I was really young, like I remember this one slimy guy was like, oh yeah, like come over here and sit on my lap. And, you know, at the time I was like, I guess this is what I've got to do. It was just a different world as well. And I was much younger. Um, and so I think I would, you know, I didn't know much about boundaries, like, like a ton. I kind of knew what my lines were that I wasn't going to cross, but just, you know, kind of thinking about that, that agent, for example, who was like, come sit on my lap or whatever. Like now that makes me fucking gag. And I would be like, like, I don't need to sit on your lap. I don't need your fucking work that badly. Like, fuck you, you know? But at the time it was just, it just wasn't that way for me. Um, so, you know, there's that for me where I think it just, yes, there's, there's one example right there. Um, and I'm sure, and I know that other girls have had it go a lot further than that. Um, but you know, I, I am going to say that the me too movement when it happened, you know, like globally and in Hollywood, it also was a reckoning for our industry as well uh, within our industry as well. So all of a sudden these, um, like problematic male performers were getting called out um, and those call outs were being backed up by other people with like sort of evidence. And then, um, so I I feel like since then production companies like really took notice of that and they started writing up these like sort of rules of engagement. Um, If you're going to work, if you're going to direct for our company, if you're going to produce for our company, if you were going to work with our models, with our performers, um, whether they're women, uh, men, or uh, trans people, like that they need to be respected in all these ways. Like a lot of these companies set up these very explicit rules. And now, you know, after we do a shoot, like we'll usually get an email from some coordinator who's like, I want to check in with you about the shoot. Like they ask all these questions to make sure we were comfortable and taken care of as performers. So, um, and then, you know, uh, Twitter was also sort of like reckoning like when this happened, when the Me Too thing was happening, it was like all of a sudden on Twitter now, uh, performers were using this as a platform to, to fucking out problematic people and mm-hmm. to be like, this performer does X, Y, and Z, or this director did X, Y, and Z to me. And so like, and then other people would be like, well, I never wanted to tell my story. I didn't think I could. I didn't want to get blacklisted, but here's my story of the same guy or same person. So so that really gave us like a voice if we, you know, needed to, um, well, kind of like warn each other sort of, you know, too. So I think there, there was a big reckoning. I'm not going to pretend like none of that goes on anymore ev- anywhere, but I think that that plus the fact that like more and more and more women are becoming the directors, the producers, the owners of these companies, And so we're being, we have that sort of representation as well. Not that women can't also be problematic because holy fuck they can, but it's usually in (laughs) different ways. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, I mean, I I think there's been a lot of improvement. Do you think that a lot of porn or maybe in the past was a little too violent? Well, I, I think that like when people talk about that, you know, there was definitely an era where I think it was happening a lot more. Um, but I also think that maybe that that is just the porn that was like getting the most attention. I don't mm. think that that's what most porn was. I just think that that is what gets the most attention. So 
there are a couple different like things to talk about when it comes to that. Um, on the one hand, you know, as a human woman, um, gender fluid person, there are forms of sexual violence that, uh, really stimulate me, uh, consensual, uh, consensual non-consent, consensual, um, you know, BDSM, uh, fuck getting fucked hard, uh, rough sex. You know, these are things that like as a woman and a lot of the women that I know in this business, uh, we, we are turned on by that. We think it's hot and we enjoy it with a partner in a consensual setting, Mm -hmm. whether I'm filming it or not. Um, but, and I think that that agency gets, sort of washed over often uh, by especially, you know, anti-porn critics. Look at all this violence. Look at all that. She doesn't like that. Well, it's like, you don't really know what she likes. And, you know, she signed the consent forms. She took the paycheck. Okay. That being said, um, there are plenty of stories of women who signed on for a certain thing of what they thought it was going to be, what they expected it to be. And then when the scene is actually happening, it turns into something that they didn't expect that kind of in the moment uh, was taken to the next level uh, without any discussion. And that is just, that is something that happens. Um, There really isn't an excuse for it, especially when you have camera operators and you have directors who are watching this happen and are seeing that the person is in distress and just keeping it going. Um, that is, that is something that has happened as well. So the companies that are trying to do, to be able to create this, you know, porn that has some violence in it in an ethical way are going to be using directors, um, people who like when they see that, like they know what signs to look out for. They're well-versed in BDSM culture. They're well-versed in uh, these types of scenes to be able to see a person who is all of a sudden a shift has happened inside of them and they are not okay with what's going on, but maybe don't have the wherewithal in the middle of the moment to be able to advocate for themselves. And so that's why we need um, directors who have that level of empathy and knowledge and understanding um, to make sure that they check in when they see that happening and they make sure everyone's still okay. And they don't put like the production over the, the value of the well-being of the people who are performing it. Um, So there's that. I, I think also that, you know, the other problem with porn is that um, people for some reason, they can watch a, a Hollywood movie with guns ablazing and monsters and violence, and they recognize that that's a movie and these are actors and they're performing a role. But when they watch porn, they think these are just real people really filming themselves, really having sex, like how they have sex. And um, that sort of definition between fantasy and reality when it comes to porn is super blurry for consumers of the product, consumers of porn. So, you know, that's something that's really frustrating to me. Um, you know, I see people on Twitter will see, like, I'll post like a video of cunt busting. It's like really popular fetish for 
um, the fetish side of my studio. What's it called? Make, it's called cunt busting. It's the female version of ball busting. Oh, okay. um, I didn't know that was a thing. But it's, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, but it's, it's different because like oftentimes with ball busting, it's like dudes who are very submissive and they really want the woman to kick them in the balls. Um, with cunt busting, it's more like a fantasy fight scenario. Uh, so it'll be two girls and like we get into some kind of conflict and then we start like fighting, quote unquote. Um, and But it involves the majority of like kicking each other in the pussy or punching or uh, grabbing, stomping in the pussy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, when you watch something like that, I mean, to me, it seems so obvious like this is a fantasy. Somebody asked for this specifically and paid me specifically to create this fantasy. And we're not really hurting each other. Our intention is not to hurt each other. Like, this is just a play scenario almost. But people see me put, like, the preview up on Twitter or something, and they're just like, oh, my God, what is this? Like, they're so shocked. Like, why did you make this? You know, like, just clutching their pearls. And I'm like, you guys, like, it's just pretend. This is just pretend. Um, And so, and I think, you know, with, with the sex scenes, it's this, it is a little blurry with you know, it's not all pretend. I mean, it's like real people really doing this stuff, but, but it, it's also a fantasy as well. And we need to be teaching young people and people in general that, that what we, when we watch porn, we're watching like varsity level sexual entertainment. We are watching people who have essentially like been training for this and like, this is the magic of like their editors. Like you have no idea how many times in this, you know, 20 minute scene you're watching, the creation of it took a few hours because there will be prep, there will be discussion, there will be uh, cutting at moments that need to be cut and then breaks taken and then let's get back into the sex. And then, you know, and then the editor just makes it look like it all happened in one go. Um, and people just forget that that's how like movies are made and that's what we're making. So. So porn's you know, basically like WWE. Yeah, it's a really, really good way of putting it. <laughs> and there's a lot of crossover too with that. Like I make a lot of uh wrestling and fight videos and stuff like that. Um tons of uh WWE uh you know fans. <laughs> so yeah, I saw but we understand with WWE, we know we kind of know what K- the kayfabe is, right? Like if you want to explain that. Oh, I'm not a wrestling fan <laughs> at all. Oh, shit. Okay, K-Fabe. No. <laughs> K-Fabe is, uh, I figured everyone was at this point. Um, if you have a podcast, you're a wrestling fan. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like a K-Fabe is the, is, this, is the fakeness of it. It's the soap opera-ness of it. And they've it's their, it's their word for it, specifically within wrestling. And oh, okay. so it's like um, maintaining your character even in like the outside world and like never admitting to the fact of any of it being staged or rehearsed or whatever. Like that's, that's kayfabe. Mm. So yeah, it's a similar kind of concept. Yeah. I know. I don't know him personally, but we're friends on Instagram. Um, He works for uh, that Brazzers company out in Vegas. His name is Mello. And I know that he'll post some stuff on his story sometimes. Like, I guess like they go through like a checklist of what everything the girl do oh yes or guy i guess is do's and don'ts or whatever so i guess you're saying that started coming after like the me too movement or what have you yes very much so yeah 
I wonder if some of the bigger play, like the bigger companies, have like compliance officers and stuff, like making sure everything is going legit, like on set and stuff. Not on set, um, but I mean that's that basically be the role of you know whoever they've gotten to be the director, pretty much. <laughs> but you know, the the better you are to your performers, um, the more that you will be lifted up out of you know the pool of all the people who shoot and you'll get a really good reputation and then you'll get more, more work directing and stuff like that. Whereas like the people who are abusive or disregarding of, um, you know, performers well-being, they, uh, they get talked about and, you know, like, so there are people who I know like, Oh, I would never work for that person because I've heard da 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 about that person. So fuck that. Like, <laughs> and then they kind of start to get a little bit of like pushed out. And a little bit blacklisted and stuff like that. It's kind of like, why would they want to treat y'all, the performers, badly? When this is what they do for a living also, is to make movies. Like, this yeah. makes no I, mean, I know they do it, I'm sure, you know. But it's just, like, makes no sense. Like, if you do, yeah. like, you, like you just said, if you treat everybody right, you yeah. get, when the people leave, y'all going to be chatting. Oh, how was, how, how was it working with him? Oh, he was great. You know, he's super cool. Yes. Buy the book, you know. He knows what's going on. I would recommend working for yeah. him. If he was a dick yeah. or an asshole, then mm-hmm. y'all going to say that. And then you go, you know what? I don't think I'm going to work with him. I've got something scheduled next month. I think I'm going to cancel it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, there was some, a newer uh, production company that was trying to get established. And um, I wanted to do a scene with a friend of mine and she was open to doing it. And then like, then she started hearing stuff from other friends about, the guy uh, sending, you know, just weird, weird kind of text messages and things like this. And and I ended up um, working for the guy and I was just doing the girl, girl scene. I wasn't working like with the guy, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I think that might've made a little bit of a difference too, but you know, so my interaction with the guy who owns the site was like very, very limited. Um, but you know, my, my friend who I wanted to do the scene with, like, she just was like, you know, I heard this, this, and this, and like, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. I would love to work with you, but like, not for this company. And I was like, no problem. Like, and that's the thing is you're going to have like these great performers who would definitely bring attention to your project if you hired them. But if you have some weirdness around you, like they're going to hear about it and then they're going to choose not to work with you. Um, that's, that's kind of what was really liberating about, well, for me anyways, like making my own content and starting to create my own, you know, clip stores and my own, um, like production company and stuff is that like, and then of course only fans, um, now we can be more choosy about who we want to shoot for, for just that one-time performance fee, because when we work on our own stuff and we, uh, we're, we're the ones making all the profits off of it. And so we can kind of make as much as, as hard as we're willing to work. Uh, and you know, I could go shoot for another company and make some money or I could sit at home and continue working on my own stuff. And like, that's just going to like set me up better in the long run. Um, so that's another reason why, you know, yeah, directors and producers and companies like it's it's really important for them to make sure that everyone on set is happy at all times because they don't need to be there anymore yeah i listened to this excuse me this podcast and this guy and his girl do porn together Mm -hmm. and 
it just seems odd the way he says it, but he's always like, yeah, we hooked up. And he makes it sound like it's like a date. Uh, that's terrible. <laughs> I wish he didn't do that. It's just like, you know, you're it's they were doing a job, man. <laughs> it's not yeah, like Yeah, yeah. It's um it's a job, yeah. So it's work. Um and like when I come to a set and to do the work, you know, I, I do like to talk to my fellow performer a little bit. I like to ask them about their life a little bit or how they got into the business, how long they've been doing it. And then like before a scene, I like us to sit down. And if, if the company isn't like having us sit down and go over these things, I like to do it with my partner anyway. Oh, okay. So tell me what kinds of things do you like? What do you enjoy? What do you not like? What should I not say? Which, you know, um, and that's just, that's just good, like standards and practices <laughs> for every scene. But, you know, so I, I don't mind being a little flirty on set with like whoever I'm about to have sex with um, before and or after, but like, that's pretty much, you know, and then, and then we leave it there and we go back to our lives and get on with our shit. Um, I would never be like, Oh, I came to set and I hooked up with this girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. Every time he says it, happening. every time yeah. he says it, it just makes me cringe. It just sounds so fucking weird, man. I, I don't very know. Cringy. Are you yeah, talking about the podcast? I'm not going to say who it is. Yeah. But are you talking about the podcast where they have sex with the guest? Yes. Man. Oh, okay. yes. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just very weird. Um, so it's an audio thing. Like, are no, we no, they, it's video, okay. it's video and audio. Uh, but where, like, where do they release the video? They do it on OnlyFans, but they also oh, have okay. the clips like on YouTube. The not sex part, obviously. They're not sex part. Got yeah, it. I'll send it to okay. you. I mean, she probably knows who they are. Yeah. they're pretty popular people. But I don't know. It's just weird. I don't know. I mean, he may be a no, nice guy, is. but it's just the way he says it. Just to me, it just sounds really creepy. But I would say too that it sounds like what they're doing is. Um, establishing like a fantasy scenario but they're just not and again that that goes back to that blurry line no but he talks about uh, this on his separate podcast not on uh, the yeah oh okay yeah well yeah. he's just trying to maintain that then i suppose across i don't know so if you don't yeah. listen to one of his podcasts but you only listen to that one you think this guy's fucking everybody right because of the way yeah. he says it right yeah yeah and it's like well no this is either a content trade or a paid scenario like <laughs> this isn't just and that's the other thing that i just i it just but bothers me a little bit if he's sort of perpetuating this notion that like we just show up on set randomly and we're like hey guys who wants to film us fucking all right let's get to it let's <laughs> yeah. fuck, you know? like it's just some fucking casual thing like it's not this you know, multiple hours of a th- of many people involved in an actual production. Uh, that that that's where I feel like it's just yeah, perpetuating like myths about that what we do isn't um, you know a, a real legitimate. You know, we pay our taxes, we get uh, STI tests. You know, regimented. Like, I mean, there are so many things about this business that people just. Um, they don't understand. They don't try to understand. They don't listen to the facts. They just kind of like make up a narrative in their own head based on the shit that gets floated around. And then they're like, this is how things are. And I think it just makes the view of our industry like worse and worse when we need to be like educating people on how, what it's really like. Um, and that it's very much like any other job in entertainment for sure. I don't want to say like any other job, but it is an entertain. It's a job in entertainment, you know, 
Um, and it's legitimate on every fucking level. <laughs> now, do you, is it, was it hard in the beginning to have sex in front of people? That was never hard for me, no. I would find that the hardest part. I, I don't think I could perform because I get so nervous. Well, guys have it way harder. <laughs> <laughs> well, true, true, like how many true. people would you say on average are in a room? Oh, okay, on average. Um, it depends on the production, but I guess if we're averaging like mainstream productions for companies, it would be like three or four. Oh, wow. But there's a ton more people on set. Like at the uh, house or whatever. Various, yeah, at the house. Yeah, like doing various things. Um, but you know, again, so it depends so much on the on what's being shot. You know, uh, when we shoot for my production company, my husband is usually the cameraman, and then that's it. It's <laughs> just him, the cameraman. <laughs> um, nobody else is really in the room except me, and then whoever I'm performing with. Um, and then if he, if it's, he's in the scene with me or with me and another person, then we just have the one other camera operator and that's it. So it it can go anywhere from just being like one person holding the camera to, uh, you know, you might have two or three camera people. You might have a sound guy holding a boom mic, like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So is it, um, did either of y'all ever have any feelings of jealousy from perform- performing with other people? Um, so with my husband and myself, all the way our relationship kind of works is that, um, so he wasn't a performer. When I met him, I had already been performing for about 10 years um, and maybe maybe eight or nine years. Uh, and then he was a diesel mechanic. So I slowly brought him into the fold over to the dark side. Um, <laughs> But, you know, yeah, so uh, just it's it's a it's a wonky sort of genderized thing, I suppose. But like, you know, me being like a queer person who definitely needs to have um, relation, uh, at least sexual relationships with women in my life. <laughs> um, you know, I have to, obviously when we got together, as like I laid I lay, I'm just honest about who I am. I'm not trying to, like, get someone to like not real me I want someone who's gonna work with actual me so I'm um, like this is what I do for a living this I'm a queer person I need to be in a relationship so I need to have sex with women in my life like so you're either gonna be okay with that or like you can move on down the road uh and he was cool with all that stuff so um then from there it was just like he he was never um jealous that I would go and do scenes with women because that was pre-established that that's what I do for a living. <laughs> and um, yeah. And then it would be more of a turn on. Like I'd come home and like tell him about the scene and then we, you know, he likes that. <laughs> mm. And I like that he likes that. So it works out. Um, and then in our personal life, we enjoy having like threesomes and stuff like that. So doing it on camera, um, I think like maybe the first few times I experienced like little pangs of jealousy as it's going on, but rather than letting that jealousy, like fuel my, (laughs) my rage or something like that, it was just more of like contemplating where that feeling is coming from and almost turning it into a turn on. Um, And then as the years have gone by, like it just evolved. And I, I uh, sometimes, 
even when I'm doing a scene with him and another girl, like I might even sit back and like watch what they're doing because just getting to see like him fuck someone the way that he fucks me, knowing that that's what it looks like when he's doing it to me, but I can see it from this other angle. Like that's, that's a huge turn on. Mm. (laughs) So I just kind of use it to like make me more wet. Um, But like where our relationship or where, you know, where we are right now. So it's never been, he's never gone off and like done performances with other, with other women without me there. Um, Yeah. And he seen, you know, he likes it that way. I like it that way. I also, I think that when you do become a full-time male performer and you are working all the time, you know, you're going to reach a point where you need to start taking um, Viagra and stuff for scenes like, and um, as things are right now with uh, my partner, Drake and myself, like he never has to do that. His dick is amazing. (laughs) Like I can just blow air in its general direction and he's hard and he can come at the right time when he needs to come for the scene. And it, it's a lot of come and then, you know, and it just works perfectly. And I, 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 part of my trepidation against, you know, being like, okay, go out in the world and use your dick to make money is that I don't want him to ever get to that point. <laughs> yeah. Mm, so so like call me selfish. Desensitized like, to it or something over time. Yeah. I think it's just that it's, well, it turns into a job yeah. now, you know? Um, and now it's like a job, but also something that we enjoy. So, um, and then I, you know, I don't do scenes with, I've, I've never done scenes with, um, guys, um, just me and another guy. So, you know, I don't, I don't really have an interest in that. Oh, Um, so he's only male talent you ever work with. Exactly. I got you. Okay. Yeah. And the only male talent I have ever worked with. So, Yeah. So it's a, so our our situation is somewhat unique and a little different, I think, in that sense. Now, what do you feel about people that judge you guys for your career path? <laughs> like, do you wow. just think it's like it's just ignorance, or do you think that? Uh, oh, I don't know. Like, um, they're just blind or whatever. Because eh. they don't see. I guess they just seem think you're. I can't talk. They just think you're just fucking like they don't know, like the cutting, like you talked about before, that the stuff yeah. is planned out, um, that it's fantasy. Right. You know, everybody thinks it's real life. Yeah. Yeah. That's an issue. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are several different ways that people come to that anti sex work, anti porn um, attitude. And I know that a lot of it can stem from uh, personal traumas that people have had. Um, A lot of it can stem from just indoctrination, religious indoctrination. Um, And even, even if you have grown up and gotten away from religion, those fundamental things still are sticky in your um, consciousness. So it's, it's hard to get away from, the concept of sex work being work. Um, I think too, that it's just, it's a lot of judgment without any understanding. Uh, and, you know, I think that's what ignorance can be sometimes. Like you look at something, you judge it, then you don't even try to understand it. Um, and yeah, so, so 
I try not to let it affect me because I, I know that I've made these choices for me in my life. I know for me in my life, they work. Uh, They work on so many different levels. And I know that, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm able to take care of myself um, and my family and I'm able to, uh, you know, have control over my life, uh, what I get to do and when I get to do it. Um, those are things that are really, really important to me. And I think, a lo- I think sometimes even that people who, you know, judge, um, my lifestyle, they're also, there's this little bit of jealousy, um, that they don't know how to direct. And so the easiest way to direct it is towards uh, like vilification of, you know, what I do. Um, I think a lot of people too, like, you know, on the internet, obviously is a terrible, terrible place. Uh, Twitter, I have watched, uh, since its inception, just devolve into this practically useless thing of, it's just a swamp of (laughs) terrible behavior, terrible human behavior. Um, but you know, the, one of the worst things, I mean, I, this one little like brief interaction with somebody from probably 10 years ago, I, I don't even remember, maybe six years ago or something, but they were just like, you don't get to say anything in this argument because you chose literally the easiest thing you could do for a living. And so you don't have, your opinion isn't valid on anything. You're not educated. And then just, they blocked me. So that, that is the thing that's always, you know, it just, it sticks in my memory and it just bugs me because it's like this assumption that due to like how I chose to survive under capitalism, I therefore lack some kind of intelligence, like, (laughs) and I'm just like, you have no idea how many books I've read, you know, what philosophers I listen to and research, like, you don't know any fucking thing about me except how I survive under capitalism. And I, and I think there's just this bitterness there because it's like, I don't know. I, I'm well, like fight club. I think Tyler Durden says it really well. Like I am free in so many of the ways that they are not. Um, so it's like, they don't even view you as a human because you have sex on camera. Yes, exactly. Which they're probably watching. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. All the legislators are watching it. I mean, if you look at there are these, this research is out there now, thanks to like Pornhub and stuff, they actually do this research. Um, for example, the states that have the strongest like anti-trans sentiment in their legislation and stuff like that are the states that are watching the most trans porn. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So Texas and Florida like are watching more trans porn than like any other state. Wow. And those are the two states that are like really trying to, you know, uh, criminalize being a certain type of human. So do you think that there's a problem too, when like say an ex porn star talks bad about porn? Yes. Yes, I do. And I mean, listen, I think that like everybody is entitled to their story and they're entitled to tell their story. But the part that sucks is when, you know, there are people who maybe they were in the industry for a while and they got out for whatever reason, but then somehow they've found 
the uh, the anti-porn like evangelicals etc have found them twisted their experience for them served it back to them so that they can take that new narrative and go out and you know um and spout that shit so that they can get compensation in one way or another from those anti-porn crusaders like that is something that happens a lot the other thing i hate is when somebody comes into the industry is in for maybe three months maybe six months do a shit ton of scenes develop some amount of fame and notoriety for whatever unique reason that particular person develops it, then get out, then get some mainstream clout by saying how fucked up the industry is. Then people use the things that they say back at me, someone who's been in the industry for 20 fucking years and telling me that like, well, but so-and-so said that they were exploited in blah, blah, blah ways. And I'm like, so-and-so was in the industry for three fucking months and they made a ton of money and now they're making like millions off their fucking OnlyFans. And so they are now in another bracket of like mm, <laughs> status, like, and they can look at all us lowly sex workers still, you know, toiling away in the industry um, with some kind of pity. And all that does is like further push the narrative that we need saving that we we can't make these choices for ourselves. Like who would choose this? So we must be being exploited as though all labor under capitalism isn't fucking exploitation. So like, I'm really wary of the term exploitation because people use it very fast and loose without really contemplating like, what does that actually mean? And in what ways and places is it happening not just with sex work, <laughs> like, and I will say, for example, you know, so yeah, yes, to, to sum up, yes, that is a problem, I think. I think everyone's entitled to tell their story, but I do think that that can be very problematic. Um, but to talk a little bit more about exploitation, you know, so my husband was a diesel mechanic for the first, you know, um, let's see, five, six, seven years, like, you know, prior to me meeting him or since we met. Um, and he was 28 years old when he had to have back surgery. Oh, wow. uh, that That's not just from living a normal life. That's from being like his body and labor, like being exploited to work at this company for which they paid him. Like, I mean, it was like maybe 14, $15 an hour. Um, yeah. And then it's like, you have to ask permission to take time off. You have to, you know, like if you, <laughs> so, you know, he feels very much that like when he was doing that job, he was being exploited. Um, whereas now that he, we run the company together and he works for me or he, you know, we work for ourselves making porn. He's like, I have never felt less exploited. <laughs> like I get to do this. I get to work with awesome people. I get to do this fun thing that I like to do. Um, and even if he's just, you know, operating the camera, like he got really into that and became like a really phenomenal camera operator. And, um, you know, so now he's doing something that he's feeling passionate about. He's creating something and um, he gets to do it on his own terms. 
And so, you know, but are we, are we taking up arms and taking donations for companies who are trying to get people out of labor exploitation? No, only when it comes to sex. Well, do you think it's, it's kind of odd that those people that did porn and got out of porn still use their porn stage name? Like if you really hated the industry mm-hmm. that much, why would you still try to capitalize off the name that you hate so much that came with the work? Yeah, that's like if I was Weird, a, isn't it? <laughs> if I was a Dahmer or a Hitler, that was my last name. I don't think I want to keep that last name, but the stain that's attached to it. Totally, totally. Like we've, uh, Hitler has a last name. Yeah, like <laughs> that would be really bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that just sounds like you're a fraud. You're just basically just getting uh-huh. attention to make money. And yeah. it's like no one made you do that job. You could have chose any other job and. Yep. Now you have some regret or remorse for it whatsoever. I mean, we all do stuff that maybe we're not proud of, but it's like, totally. I don't think you would still try to use that name to profit off it if you hated it that yeah. much. Yeah. If you had like that genuine kind of um, regret, you know, uh, then I agree. I think you would want to start fresh and just put it all behind you. But yeah, there's like this uh, this bit I saw on on Instagram one day. This guy was a comedian. He's talking about like all the great porn stars just disappear. They don't even say like they're leaving. Yeah, and like those true. are the ones that leave and you never hear from them again. But then there's yeah. people like I think we know who we're all talking about. Like yeah. still are profiting off who she was. 100%. Yeah, totally. And that's why um, that person really gets under my skin <laughs> yeah it's like if you don't yeah it's like don't said if you didn't enjoy or love what you did you're still using the name that's how that's how everybody searches you is by that name yeah yeah you know so, no, and then you're still making money off that name you're still profiting off of it and uh, off the one side and then on the other side you're just talking shit and i think that especially coming from ex-performers, like it just gives so much more fuel for the anti-porn crusaders um, like Exodus Cry and all these, you know, now they just talk about trafficking instead of porn or sex work because uh, their goal is to end pornography on the internet. So make no mistake, that is what they're trying to do. Now, wasn't that like, uh, didn't they also try to do something with condoms? Like they wanted performers to start using Oh gosh, condoms. that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> that is a whole other story. So that was the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. And um, what was so upsetting about that one is that like, we are talking about a huge, you know, quote unquote charity. Um, and at that particular time, the leader of that group of that company want, wanted also to eradicate porn. They and, you know, they felt that the way to do it was to, uh, I guess, like, again, again, the re- the rescue narrative um, coming outsiders coming into our industry, trying to tell us how to do our jobs um, and sort of spreading uh, propaganda and misinformation about how the industry runs. So they wanted to, and they put it on the fucking California ballot. Like they got it as an initiative so that all of California could vote Mm. on this, this topic that affects like, I don't know, maybe a thousand people, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, Which is another thing where I'm just like, I don't understand why we get to vote for things that affect 
only these certain people's lives and really not anybody else's. Like, I don't understand why Prop 8 was a thing where it was like the voters get to decide whether gay people can get married, meaning not gay people can decide whether or not gay people can get married. How is that? How is how? I don't understand that. But so in this particular scenario, they were like, we want if you're going to shoot porn, you have to wear men have to wear condoms when they're doing scenes with women, I guess, was what they were trying to make like a fucking law uh, for the state of California. And um, that's because they don't know anything about how the industry works. So we have like a pretty robust testing um, regimen. If we want to perform a scene with another person on camera, we have to have a valid test from a specific testing center. Like we, there's basically two of them now. Um, And that's what we count as valid and it's valid for two weeks for 14 days. Um, now of course, between the time you get the test and, uh, the time you do your last scene on the 14th day, you know, you might've slept with anybody. Sure. On your personal life off camera, but what we do with testing and even with condoms and with any form of, you know, safer sex practice is we're, we're aiming for harm reduction, right? Um, that's in normal life, regular sex land, and also in porn land. So, you know, if you are going to choose to have sex with another person, you, you know, that you're taking a risk. Abstinence is the only thing that's not risky. Um, at least not physically, maybe emotionally, but we're humans and we're, we're going to have sex. So, you know, um, it's all about that harm reduction and in the industry, like as far as passing, um, HIV, uh, it's just something that since these testing protocols were put into place, uh, almost like 20 years ago, uh, it, it has happened less than a handful of times, um, out of the probably millions of scenes that have been shot. So, um, so I, I don't even know where they were coming at with this fucking condom thing. But the one thing that performers know is that, uh, especially ones who, you know, that do the boy girl scenes for the mainstream companies, uh, which is not something that I've been too much involved with, but there are companies like Wicked who has been condom performances only for probably a decade or more. Um, and they know that condoms, um, they break, they, uh, the latex, um, with the friction, uh, it, ca- it can cause tearing um, and sores that actually make it more dangerous. Um, and so just all these like considerations that because this this company that was on this fucking rampage to try to like force everything to be the way they sh- thought it should be, uh, they had no idea what they were talking about. It didn't involve anyone who'd ever been in the industry or any real sex worker. It was just these fucking CEOs of AIDS Healthcare Foundation, which, by the way, receives millions of dollars in donations. And the amount that they spent on this uh, prop, uh, whatever the fuck it was called, like I can't even remember now. It was a while ago. But they spent millions and millions of dollars trying to get people to vote this into law. And I'm like, Wow. So that money wouldn't have been better spent aiding the people who have fucking HIV Yeah, (laughs) or like going to, you know, some of these places in the world where it's like way more prevalent. Um, There's way less education about it and stuff like that. And they need desperately need help. 
you're not directing the money in those places. You're directing it towards this fucking, this just, there's like this religious word for it. Um, this holy crusade to, to fucking rescue porn stars. Like, uh, just the fucking waste of, of resources. I, I mean, that's what people should be offended by. Yeah, I always find it interesting how people are so offended by nudity and sex. And that's none of us are born with clothes. Uh, Essentially, (laughs) this is what I always say. People always balk back when I say it. But essentially, our purpose in life is to fuck and then die. I mean, you do some cool shit in the middle. But I mean, you're going to populate the world. I mean, we wouldn't be here if our parents didn't fuck. So it's like these people that are so regressed (laughs) that people are having sex on camera. It's like, why? Yeah. That's their life. Yeah, Let them do what they want to do. If they're not hurting anybody, who gives a fuck? Exactly. Yes, they're not hurting anybody. Um, that's the main thing. I, I think that just like all the religious texts of all the world could really be summed down to treat people the way you would like to be treated. Yes. And like, <laughs> so you see people fucking on camera and you don't like it. Well, you don't have to look at it. Same thing with what you see two guys holding hands walking down the street. You don't have to fucking look at it. So look the other direction. Like, ah, <laughs> but you don't have to participate in these things that you don't like. But uh, I, I mean, I really just blame it all on religion because without some book that had told people this is bad, um, I just don't think we would have we would have this society who is trying so hard to. Uh, keep sexual physical expression like out out of their life out of the world you know um yeah it's so funny there's so many other things they could focus on america like obesity or like uh just all these other atrocities that are going on in the world but then they want to demonize people that are just having sex yeah yeah i mean they're Look, so if you don't want people to have to do sex work ever, well, maybe like let's create a better system so that people are taken care of and they don't feel like, uh, you know, that that's for some people that that is like the best option for them. And um, and I, I hate to say it like through that lens because that's still a lens of it being like somehow bad. But, you know, that's just like coming from their own angle why aren't you focusing more on that, that labor exploitation on the fact that like wages have been stagnant for the past 25, 30 years on, you know, on those facts uh, that are way more systemic and ingrained into like our systems of operation, but no, like we can't look at that because it's just the dirty, bad sex stuff. Like the Bible says, you know, um yeah people are funny yeah (laughs) oh so going back to that uh we were talking about the condoms a second ago like i saw some uh, advice not advice commercial but like um a story on uh instagram that vice did this was a couple years ago and that that you said it was the world's aids organization that was trying to do the condom thing um it was ahf aids healthcare foundation they need to spend that money in india instead instead of coming for y'all like they did because the vice story was they went to like villages and people didn't even know what a condom was. Oh, fuck. Well, yeah. It's even here in America that HIV and STDs are on the rise. Yeah. And it's not even in their community. It's just in the regular community. So like they always say like generally most sex workers are tested more than the average person. I just I oh, used to yeah. say I, I mean, think people got tested for COVID more than they did 
the last time I got an STD <laughs> yeah. check. Yeah. I mean, I think the average for people out in the wild, uh, we call them civilians, <laughs> is probably get tested maybe once a year if, if they're lucky. And we get tested every two weeks. Um, now, I don't I don't do a test if I don't have a scene coming up. But uh, if I have a scene coming up, I get a test um, the day before the scene. And then my test is good for, for 14 days. And so I always know my status, always. And I just know for a fact that for the rest of the world, they're out there fucking without condoms mm-hmm. and not getting tested and then assuring their partners that they're quote unquote clean as though you're fucking dirty if you get an <laughs> infection. Yeah. Like, so that's, that's, that's another reason why I think we try it. We try to, um, now shift the term from STDs to STIs because I think the word disease has these this stigma to it and it's not even uh, always accurate. Um, but when you you contract an infection, that's something that happens all the time. You contract the flu, you contract COVID. These are infections. You contract gonorrhea. That's an, that's a sexually transmitted infection. Um, you take the medicine and it goes away. And I mean, even the stigma with HIV is that we are living in a different world now. Um, now I don't, I don't want to say that like, you know, I think if anyone got an HIV diagnosis, I know that it would be very shocking and probably devastating at first, but once you realize that all you have to do is take these medicines, like, I mean, I have to take medicine every day for my thyroid. Uh, so it'd just be like a different kind of medicine that I have to take every day. And then your viral count goes down to zero and you can't transmit it. So it's not even like it's not a death sentence anymore. It's not a death sentence. It's not a diagnosis of celibacy. Like it's just, well, now you have to take this medicine for the rest of your life and you will live a normal life. Is the medicine, is it the PERP or I'm sorry, PERP? That's what it's called. Okay. PERP stands for pre-exposure, pre-exposure prophylaxis. So PREP is a, then the drug prep will, you start taking that if you're like a sex worker, if you're um, someone who just like engages in lots of random sex and things like this, you're going to take prep in order to um, not catch that particular infection. Oh. Um, but the, co- the the drugs that you take when you have the infection, uh, something else entirely. And I'm, I'm not totally the expert on the yeah. medicines that you take when you have it but that is that that is the state where we are right now with medical technology and medicine um when it comes to hiv it's really just another infection that you catch um if you catch herpes well that's probably some medicine you're going to take for the rest of your life too if you don't want to have outbreaks so you know it's really just not what it used to be and i and i think the stigma around it needs to chill out a little bit because <laughs> again there are much much bigger problems affecting way more lives uh but even in any case like no one should be vilified or made to feel dirty or unclean just for having an infection yeah i wonder if people would be more open about it if it wasn't such a stigma attached to it yeah and that would help a lot because like you said you don't you can't just look at somebody and determine if they're quote unquote clean or not. No, yeah. you no, you cannot. <laughs> so I'm sure there's a lot of people that get a pass and they may have some or may not even know because they're not getting tested. They don't want to know. 
which yeah, I think that, is really that, fucked up. That not wanting to know thing is extremely fucked up. <laughs> well, it's good. That's like it's not like, answering a phone. No. Like a bill collector's call. It's still there, man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, you can ignore it, but that doesn't make it go away. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, and then especially like when, you know, when you get into a relationship with somebody and you don't disclose that you might have something, that's locked up too. I agree. You don't know. Humans are weird. <laughs> to put it mildly. So did your uh, friends or family at all block back when you decided to do porn? Um, no, uh, all of my friends, you know, they um, saw it coming because like I said, I talked about it all the time. Mm. <laughs> so it wasn't a shock really for anyone. Um, and then my mom struggled a little bit uh with the sex work stuff in general um you know both my parents were educators my grandpa was also a teacher my grandma used to work in the school district so i i education was like extremely important um getting good grades was very important and i always did uh that wasn't really challenging for me to do it was pretty easy um but it was one of those things where it's like, you're, you're just expected to go to college after high school. Like that's obviously what you do. So I did get accepted to Cal state long beach. Um, but <laughs> you know, it's easier to look back uh, as an older person and say these things, but, um, I'm so glad I made the decision that I did because, you know, I just think it's such a fucking scam that you are expected to as an 18 year old kind of child still in a lot of ways, like, okay, well now you're going to make the decision of what you're going to do for the rest of your life until you die. So you better make a good one. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and I remember just being like, I don't really know what I want to do except that I know I want to be a stripper. So why am I going to like, go to college and spend tens of thousands of dollars a year and get myself tens of thousands of dollars in debt. I don't even really know what I want to do. And then even if I do figure it out, like who's to say what's going to happen? <laughs> like I, it just, it just seemed like, yeah, it's a really unfair thing to do to young people. I think <laughs> just in general, but I, um, yeah, so I was just like, I am not going to do that, and I'm going to do this instead. And um, so, of course, when I was stripping, you know, my mom was just like, well, I, I'm not okay with it, and blah, blah. And I'm like, well, whatever, this is, you know, you knew this is what I wanted to do, and now I'm fucking doing it. So, so you know, that's how it is. And then, um, so when I started doing porn, I just, like, didn't tell her. Um, and then unfortunately she found out from students, uh, that she taught at school. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> yeah. So she's like, uh, calls me up and like, is this what you're doing? Are you doing this? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, I can never accept it. And I was like, well, mom, it's reality. So this is the reality. And if you can't accept reality, then you might need to take some medicines or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I was really lucky because my dad was always just very, very accepting. I, I think, you know, he knew that he was supportive. He's uh, knew that I had performance in my bones. So, <laughs> um, but my mom came around because 
you know, she, she was born in like 1960. Uh, so she grew up with that wave of feminism that was a little bit kind of like rad femme, um, not very accepting of sex work and sex workers really looking at all that as being like exploitative, um, the way that, you know, the patriarchy is and all this stuff. And while all that still continues to be true, I think now that we recognize that, you know, women also have agency and if they do want to be sex workers, that's their choice and they can do it. (laughs) So, uh, but anyways, so I think she had this view of pornography as you know, how it's often like portrayed in the media of some sweaty dude with a cigar, a cigar and a gold chain, you know, uh, demanding girls what to do. And so it's just like, so not like that. (laughs) Um, and so I had a really terrible accident uh, in 2009 and I was, uh, in a coma and, um, you know, people from my industry, uh, co-workers, directors, things like that were reaching out to my family to try to find out what was going on with me. How was I doing? Was I getting better? You know, what was the status? Um, and I think when she saw that, when she saw that there was human and, and not only that, but my friends started up, um, a basically what amounts to a GoFundMe. It was before GoFundMe was a thing, but mm. Uh, for me, for my medical bills and, um, fans were just donating like crazy. I think, I think we got like $5,000 in donations from fans, um, and coworkers and, you know, directors and companies and stuff like that. Um, and so I think when she saw that she realized that this was just another workplace that was, you know, kind of, kind of becomes like family, and um, she saw that, it, you know, it wasn't just men, it was men and women, and that it wasn't just like, nobody cared about me, like, everybody cared. And I think, and she told me later that, like, that, that when she experienced that, um, that's what made her, uh, like, shift her perspective. And that that's really what needed to happen, that perspective shift, because... And, you know, that being like almost uh, 15 years ago now or quite some time ago. Uh, now it's like I can tell her about my nominations. I can tell her about the fun things, uh, the opportunities that arise and the fun the things that I get to do. And she's just she's proud of me. She's happy for me. Um, so uh, that's that's really awesome. Like, I love it. <laughs> So I've been, I'm just totally accepted by my friends and by my family. And I I have to say that if somebody, you know, didn't want to accept me for who I am, um, they just wouldn't be my friend or my family anymore. I mean, that's, that's really how it is. And I guess that's kind of, I've always been like that. I'm going to be my own person and you're either going to take me or leave me. Like, and if you are going to leave me, then fucking sayonara, you know. (laughs) <laughs> bye bitch like i don't need that in my life you know yeah um yeah so i'm surrounded by people who are extremely supportive and loving and i'm very blessed in many different ways would you say there's a big like community as far as in the porn industry absolutely since we moved to vegas like oh my gosh just really feeling that community strong and um yeah, it's great. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. Like 
it's really fulfilling. Um, and just knowing that the, that all this whole community, like we all understand each other. We understand what it, what it's like, you know, to just choose this life uh, for ourselves and all the aspects that come with it. So yes, big community. We support each other in many ways. Um, I love uh, Suede is a Las Vegas based group, sex worker mutual aid. So when, you know, um, sex workers either like they're not cutting it, like they're not able to make their rent or they have got a medical bill that they were not expecting or blah, blah, like, you know, Suede will come together. They'll post about it. They'll donate some money to the person. They'll try to get other people to donate to the person. And, you know, we really come together for each other and, um, that's amazing. Yeah, I bet that would be really beneficial, especially for people that say their family hasn't come around to them or they their family doesn't yeah. know or like they have to deal with like online trolls and all the other bullshit that comes oh, with yeah. with oh, um, yeah. the work that you guys are doing. Because yeah. like you said, at the end of the day, you're, you're still a human. So it's like, why treat somebody <laughs> badly because they're going down a different path of work than you are? Yeah, they just they just made a different choice for their life, you know, um, and they're still just trying to put a roof over their head, just like everybody else. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And I have a friend. So, she does. Uh, she does OnlyFans. She like does like footwork and like. Uh, yeah. I think she's like a sub, like domination or whatever she does to guys, and <laughs> she's about to tell her mom what she's doing, but. Yeah. um you know, we had her on here twice now, and uh-huh. I mean, I've known her forever, and she's just who she is. Like, she's just a normal person that just does something different for work. How long did it take her to tell you? Like, how long did you find out? Ago? How did I find it? I think I posted something, and she said something, and then we started talking in, like, a DM, and then she told me she had OnlyFans. Mm. So I think she said she's been doing OnlyFans since like 2018 or something like that. But I've known her since like longer than me. 99, I think. That's when I met her. So did you start your OnlyFans account when the pandemic happened? No, I started in um June of 2019. Okay. Yeah. Like is that is that is that is that what you're going to want to do and get away from the studios and just have your own studio and create your all your own content and stuff? That's what I do already. And oh, okay. I was doing that before OnlyFans came around. Nice. Yeah. So it's called custom videos. Um, that's when like a fan uh, will email me and well, I have a form on my website. So hopefully they go to my website and they fill out the form, which is what I want everyone to do. But <laughs> and then they read the FIQ that I've written and then they fill out the form with, uh, you know, describe the video that you want, you know, the performers that you want to be in it. How do you want it to look? What, you know, all of those details, we go back and forth a couple of times. And then, um, I tell them, you know, okay, great. I can make this for you. Uh, it's going to cost this much, uh, send them payment instructions and they pay me now the videos in the queue for production. And I pick a date, maybe I have to coordinate with another model or something. And then, uh, the day comes, I get ready for the shoot and we usually just shoot it here in my house. Um, and then I give it to them. And what they've done is commissioned me to make exactly what they want, but I own the rights to that property. So I, um, give them their video, which is exactly the thing that they asked for. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're very, uh, pay a lot of attention to detail 
here at Sensage Studios. So uh, if you put it in your script or you put it in your um, request, like it will go in your video. And then I take that video and I usually wait a few months before I put it up for sale so they can have that exclusivity for like a little bit. But then it goes for sale in my stores. I might use it on my OnlyFans also, um, but I'm definitely selling it in my Clips for Sale store and my ManyVid store. Um, and then, yeah. <laughs> well, that's beneficial because you're not, you're able to repurpose it. It's not just a one and done. Exactly. Then. Oh, yeah, totally. And like if somebody is really they want it to be exclusive, they can have that. It just costs three times the price. <laughs> you're smart. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> How did you come up with your name? Um, I guess like at the, yeah, <laughs> it's like a long story. Well, my sage is the road that I grew up on. Okay. Okay. So there's that. <laughs> uh, it's also like a wise older person. And, um, also it's a bush from the desert where I grew up too. So it, it's multi, got lots of different meanings. Sin is just kind of like, um, I almost came up with it on the spot when I went to the very first strip club, the very first time. And they're like, okay, so what's your stage name? And I was just like, oh shit. Like, I didn't even think about that. And then I guess I had just always been thinking about sin. And I was like, well, with two N's, cause like it's a stripper name. <laughs> that's kind of like what it was. I, I've just, uh, my aesthetic is definitely goth. Like when I was in high school, I was super goth. And, um, you know, came to my atheism around the age of like 13, 14 and was really, I think when you're like a younger atheist person, uh, you're so tired of all of the, uh, Christian, like, uh, being uh, oppression. And and so you really kind of want to like shove it out there, (laughs) hard to describe, but so I think I wanted to be like subversive and just be like, Yes, that's what we're doing here. Mm. Sin, which is not a concept I even believe in, but I think it's funny. <laughs> well, I mean, we all do it one form or another. So, I mean. Has there been a custom that you made for somebody that you like, damn, it's a really good idea? Um. Yes, probably lots of them. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, yeah. What are uh, some of the customs? That's that... like... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, that's why, like, um, you know, anymore, I, I create shit so often and all the time, and you're just sort of being a content farm in a sense. Like, I kind of rely on customs to give me the, you know, <laughs> yeah. interesting ideas, because for the person giving it to me, maybe it's one of, like, 20 ideas that they've had or ever had to put on paper. But, like, for me, it's just this constant, endless stream of, like, having to come up with shit um, as far as making content. So, I, instead, like, I'm just, like, Give me your customs. <laughs> so I know your next question is like, what's the weirdest one? And so I've, I've definitely made just like a fucking a big old box full of really weird ones too. And I'm like, I don't think this is going to sell that great. But the truth with that is you never know what's going to sell. I mean, yeah. sometimes you think though, there's no way nobody's interested in this weird thing. And then actually lots of people are. So and I try not to judge them. <laughs> there's an ass for every seat. I mean, so yeah. somebody's going to find something hot. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. And sometimes, like, people are just making seats to put their ass in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's just, um, I don't know. It's just people have their different kinks, man. You know, 
No, one yeah, thing is not for the next person. Yeah, and it's just fed by their imaginations and, uh, you know, people's um, like little kinks. They kind of get started at a very young age when they're not even considering stuff in that, like through that sexual lens yet. And then they go through puberty and then they grow up and then they're fixated on this thing. And it's like, well, where did that come from? Well, it's probably some little thing maybe that you saw when you were a kid, like, I don't know, your mom's high heeled shoes or something. And now you're just like, you fucking love high heeled shoes and feet. <laughs> like, but the the psychology behind that, I mean, they're all just theories at this point, I suppose. <laughs> so are there a lot of other women doing what you're doing as far as like uh, being the head of their own production? Oh yeah. I'll say almost all of us. (laughs) It's just the size, depending on the size. So some people like only have an OnlyFans and they pour like all of their energy and and resources and into running their OnlyFans. Uh, And that is, you know, that's a little production studio just for that one person. That's what they're doing. You know? Yeah. Cause I saw, I was listening to one interview and this girl was saying that she does predominantly OnlyFans, but sometimes she'll do mainstream because she can get the push with their media machine. Yeah, that's what OnlyFans really did is, um, yeah, like, that's how I think of it basically is, you know, if I, if I get a gig, you know, to drive out to LA and work for a company, um, it's really just about keeping my presence out there, keeping my face in, in the media that's going on with porn. And so people can see me in a perform, in a, like an adult time production or a sweetheart video production or something like that and be like, Oh yeah, there's Cincy. She's still doing stuff. And then hopefully they'll be like, I wonder if she has an OnlyFans or I wonder if she has a website or, you know, maybe they'll Google me and they'll find my website or they'll find my clip stores or, and then, and then that's where like, I'm really making the, the, that's where I'm making the money that like, um, will sustain me into the future. Yeah. Whereas, so when I go and perform, it's a one-time performance fee that you get, but they do have, you know, those mainstream companies definitely reach more eyes than, than I'm able to. So, yeah. Do you do like feature dancing? I have only done that one time and it makes me sad. I used to be a stripper. Well, I think I mentioned that that's kind of like the first like five to seven ish years of being in the business. I was stripping and doing this kind of like, as I could get the work until I was getting enough porn work to not have to rely on stripping anymore, but I do love it. I love live performance. Uh, it just fires me up like so much. There's just nothing more exhilarating. That feeling that I get like re- takes me back to being in plays in high school. <laughs> it was like rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. They would be so tedious and you just hated them after a while. But then that opening night, you're on stage, the curtains open, the audience is there and just this fucking rush. Like it feels amazing. Um, but there's basically only so I am signed with like a hot on even signed isn't quite the right word but there is a feature dance agency that my picture is buried on their website somewhere and they've gotten me one feature gig and that was in 2018 it was in Austin Texas and um I had an absolute blast it was amazing and I would love to do more of it but the feature dance agency that really gets you the work is unfortunately run by this very toxic character in the business. Mm. And I'm just not willing to work with that person. And so it doesn't, um, so it just doesn't really happen for me and that's okay. (laughs) Are people trying to push this person out or just waiting for them to die? 
You know, there was a, there was like a criminal case at some point and I don't know what happened to it. I'd have to do a little research or something, but yeah, nobody likes him. Uh, He's been around for way too long and uh, everybody fucking hates him. And yet, you know, he's still here. Does he like corner the market pretty much? (laughs) Uh, No, definitely not. But with the feature dance agency thing, um, that's the only one that, that I have heard about that actually books uh their girls uh, I got you. Uh, gigs so that's we, sad we that have one a f- one bad apple can <clears throat> fuck everything up for everybody else yeah we have a friend that um yeah. r- her her and her dad um manage the pony strip clubs and they always have features where are you memphis oh memphis okay yeah. so yeah i those don't exist out here is that a chain of strip clubs um yeah they have the, there's like there's like 30 of them across the country or okay. yeah but yeah she um i always see when she posted them talks about them and stuff and i was just wondering i was like i wonder if what company she uses or the company that yeah. that you had to get through is probably it's one that they use or whatever yeah, probably. Uh, you know, I've even tried one time because I was in, when I was in Austin, I was pushing for it. So I, I was lucky to get that gig from, from the company that got me that one gig, but, um, I tried to do it myself. I wrote a letter. Uh, I included box covers that I've been on and photos and sent it to the strip club. And then, um, and my friend even, I had a friend who had worked at this one strip club and she said she mentioned it too. And then I just never heard anything back and nothing ever came of it. So I'm not sure if, you know, one can be their own agent. Uh, there's some secret trick that I don't know about, (laughs) but yeah, but, um, you know, I'm doing a, like my friend uh, Daisy Ducati, she put together this show and, um, it's going to be Friday, October 7th at the scores here in Las Vegas. And um, it's kind of like a little troop show. So there's five of us, I think. And it's like a through, it's like a, each set has a little sort of storyline that goes through the whole thing. And it's going to be like, I think the theme is resurrection. So it's like got a vampire thing going to it. And um yeah, so that's going to be fun. And that's something that just like a colleague put together herself, you know, because, yeah, that's a better way of doing it anyway, if you can manage it. So <laughs> that's going to be a good time. So anyways, like I went to this to the pole studio to like practice with them yesterday and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm gonna be 39 in like a week. And I haven't danced like consistently a uh, pole dance since you know, God, I don't even know, 10, 15 years <laughs> more than that. So uh, it's just reminding me like I need to be practicing more or doing something physically because, yeah, I had to take a long bath this morning. I was so sore. <laughs> <laughs> was it hard working during the pandemic? Yeah, totally. Uh, we pretty much didn't. So in a way, that was probably nice to, I, I will say like my OnlyFans took off. Uh, and then since they announced, uh, I don't know if you remember, but it was a year ago, they were like, oh, we're kicking porn stars off. And then yeah. a week later, just kidding, just kidding. But like that was when my subscriber count dropped and it just hasn't really recovered since then. And since coming out of the pandemic, I guess, you know, 
some people are always going to do really well on their OnlyFans. Um, and, you know, I, I just do so many other things. Like, I'm so busy. I literally have shit to do every single day, um, whether it has to do with customs, whether it has to do with content trades or just like a wide variety podcasts and uh, just so many other things. <laughs> like, so I am always working on lots of stuff. Um, not just my only fan. So I can't give it as much attention as I think it might need, but I'm also older and I, I'm not savvy on all of this, like sort of marketing tricks that a lot of the younger people really know how to work. Um, and that's fine. Again, a, a seat for every ass. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I know a lot of the girls, well, I, a couple of the girls I follow, I know they have like a manager that handles their OnlyFans or something like that. Yeah, usually it's a company mm-hmm. um, and the company takes 20% of, you know, what you make on OnlyFans. And, you know, just from being overwhelmed with so much work and then also having to keep up on my OnlyFans, I've thought about that. I've considered that so many times. Um, but I would be losing something too with the... That, you know, I've got this core group of fans that's just, they're mostly women and they're really, um, you know, the authenticity is why they are such big fans and very loyal. And as soon as I handed it over to someone else, it would just be instantly noticeable that it wasn't me. And I don't know, I might still do it someday. I so, <laughs> but I just, the, the point of my, like my only fans is a true fan club where you actually get to interact with me. Um, you want to be authentic. That is really what the Sin Sage brand is kind of all about. So I don't know. But you I are 100% right when you said it, it's, it's going to completely change if you did do that because no one is you, obviously. And you know how to, you know how to talk to all your, oh, yeah. your fans and stuff. Yeah, no one is me. And and also, like I've seen, I know what those companies, I know what it looks like when they run somebody's OnlyFans. And it's uh, it's just constant pushing, pushing, pushing to get more money, like uh, all the time, everything they say, everything they do. Like, and I get that. And obviously, that's like what we're here for, uh, to make a living and to make money. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough one for me. Uh, but I know that those people have more free time to themselves. That sounds delightful. So <laughs> it's hard to say. Yeah. But I wonder if you can really sleep at night, if you know, you're just taking advantage of people. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, I, yeah, yeah, that is the thing. I don't really, I don't, I wouldn't want that. Yeah. Uh, Cause if you're going to drain a, somebody dry, you're going to lose them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and I and I have fans that, you know, they started with me in like 2008 and they're still around um, because, yeah, they just love that authenticity. So, you know, I've got that longevity with fans, I think. Um, and I don't know. It's kind of whatever. Like, I just don't I. I feel that I, you know, I I like living a comfortable life. I like being able to do the things that I love to do, but I I'm also not, my goal isn't to die on the biggest hill, the biggest pile of money. Like I, I just, I, I know I feel like I'm a little, 
I have pondered on existence very, very deeply. Uh, and I'm not sure if having the most money and buying the nicest things is really like my goal in my time here on this planet. So I've noticed when I've been able to travel to like other countries, people with the least amount seem the happiest. Uh-huh. You know, I made a post yesterday, <clears throat> uh, like, you know, I, put, I said, I have the best core group of friends, five friends of mine that wouldn't trade for a billion dollars because with that money, you're just going to have a bunch of fake people loving you and liking you because you have the money you're spending. But with these five guys, I got to make all these experiences and, you know, travel with them and stuff. And that's, that's worth more to me than the money. Yeah. That's the value. That's the value. And and, and I know everybody's going to come to a different conclusion about what's valuable to them in their life but this for me this is what matters more and also like integrity is really really important to me um uh so so yeah like what you just said reminds me of this um this pretty famous quote from jim carrey where he says i think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer Mm. uh yeah. So when you have Sense Age as a guest on your podcast, it gets very um, political and philosophical. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's great. It's great. It's, that's true, though, because, you know, people think, you know, I'm, I'm, this might be a blanket statement, but like people think the more money you have, the less problems you have. That's that biggie song, more money, more problems. Yeah. You yeah, know, and like and- it's just not true because. Yeah. I mean, think of how many people that are famous that have blown their heads off. Yeah. And rich. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that's, so that's the thing. Um, and I, I am sitting from a place of privilege where I have enough money to pay for my rent and to own a vehicle. Um, so I, you know, I don't want to take away the reality of people who struggle just to make it through the day because they don't have enough money. But, you know, on the, the flip side of that coin is striving and striving and striving for more and more and more money. Um, and then just being realizing that there's no end to when it turns into greed, like there's really no end. There's no amount that you'll ever reach that you'll feel comfortable with. And that's what's interesting about starting to get more money is that the more you get, it's almost like the less generous you are with it, like the more tightly you clutch it and um, you know, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't want to just be, yeah, like a rich old curmudgeon, just like Scrooge McDucking fucking money. Oh, or yeah. Yeah. It's and like, just, uh, when you get money, it's like, what's next? Yeah. Well, okay. How am I going to get the next amount? How am I going to get the next amount? You know, how am I going to maintain this? Like, and I felt that for myself, um, like as the only sort of took off and as, as and as the ownership of my own content started to become more um, sustainable, uh, prof- like I don't even know, profitable uh, enough to the point where it's like, look, I'm now I'm comfortable. Um, that's nice, but then it also is a, the trade-off for that comfort is this burden of like a lot more work, a ton mm. more work, um, and I can get so overwhelming sometimes. So that no money, no problems thing. I mean, it could it can be viewed through like several different lenses. Um, and, you know, uh, prior to me moving to Vegas, my husband and I traveled the country living out of our van and um, it was a very simple life. And it was very freeing 
Yeah, I think yeah. the thing about money, the plus side of it is it does give you freedom. But they're all there also are the pitfalls that come with it, too. So it's right. like a good and a bad. You have to look at it. And I yeah, guess it I mean, depends on who you as a, who you are as a person, too, and what totally. your your heart is. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think like everything has that good and that bad is everything is that like double edged sword, like, you know, just looking at the Internet um, in the beginning stages, it was just like, oh, my God, this amazing, beautiful thing. Like we can all connect across the globe and you can get the answer to any question you've ever had and community and stuff. And then social media came along and all of a sudden this very nefarious uh, side of the Internet came out. And now it's like we all have this freedom to behave at our, the, the inter, not, it's not even that it's like the internet encourages us in so many ways to behave at our like basest level. Um, it, it stimulates our worst, uh, our worst, um, you know, ways of, of treating each other. Uh, so then that's terrible, but I wouldn't say get rid of the internet so we can all like be better people because now it's so useful in so many ways. So I just think like most things that are great, great or grand, like there's always the, the yin and the yang of it, I suppose. Yeah. I think there's, there's always been, Oh, I can't talk obnoxious people. But now they have a bigger soapbox with a bigger reach to be obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just like all of life is about finding a balance um, and keeping that in mind as you are on the Internet is fucking hard. (laughs) Yeah, I would imagine it'd be really tough, especially have people just bombarding you with hate all day long and they don't Mm -hmm. even know you. So it shouldn't bother you. But human nature Generally yeah, goes towards true. like being in defensive mode when some, some, someone says something fucked up to you. And it's yeah. like, what's going on with you? Why do you want to make somebody else feel bad that you don't even know instead of just ignoring their content or leaving? Because they even had to start implementing stuff where they would tell people, do you really want to send this? I know. I know. And then sometimes I'll write the thing out on Twitter and then Twitter's like, you sure this is what you want to say? <laughs> and I'm like, yes. Say it. <laughs> And then I'm just like, well, and then, and then I'm like, why, why did I fucking let Twitter get the best of me? Because that's what it does. And it sucks. Um, and then also all that does is get me deeper and deeper shadow banned. Mm. So like my Twitter has been at the same fucking subscriber count for the past six years, if not more. Oh well. And um, I don't, I think barely anybody even sees it. Uh, I know that when you type in my name, it doesn't show up. You have to just actually click on go to at since age to see it. Um, there there's, so it, uh, it's like barely even a useful tool for me anymore to like promote my stuff because I've been so badly shadow banned. And like, I tried just not posting anything for a couple of days, hoping that would help, but it didn't really. And so, you know, I, I, as the years go by, I'm just like, I draw, I draw further and further away from it. Um, because yeah like i in the face of the way that that technology works um and the way that it tries to keep me engaged so that i'll stay um on the platform mm-hmm. like i'm i'm powerless 
I really am <laughs> like, I'm, I can admit that. So I just, I'm trying to just like not engage with it as much. Yeah. Cause I saw something where they said like some of these social media platforms empowered women for a little bit and now they're stripping it all away from them. Like yeah. there's always like banning women on Instagram for nudity or something they deem. Oh, that's the worst. Sexual. Instagram and it's worst. generally not yeah. even anything bad when the people show like the, the story or whatever. Oh, yeah, it'll be like, oh no, there's like barely a butt cheek, but we can show we can show Kim Kardashian's yeah. her post where she's butt ass naked and you can see her entire silhouette and almost a nipple. That's fine because she's a fucking multimillionaire. But little Miss Joe Schmo over here, like, <laughs> ooh, gross. We saw, you know, like, oh no, a booty, not a booty. Like, <laughs> that's it, you're banned. And when they when they delete your account. That's that's it. You have no recourse. Like yeah. these companies, just they're so big. Um, See, I think they're going to start shooting themselves in the foot because I think eventually people are going to look for another plat- platform. Because you just look at like how stuff dies off over time. You got MySpace. You have like Blockbuster. You know, everything gets phased out eventually. And yeah. I think they're going to cannibalize themselves by some of the stuff that they're doing. All I can say is that I hope so, but. I don't know. I mean, because you see like a lot of kids now feel like Instagram is an old person's app. So they're like on TikTok and stuff like that now. Well, and then Instagram just basically became TikTok. Yeah, it's it's pretty garbage now. Yeah. So I feel like that's what's just going to keep happening. Like these, there's things are going to get more and more and more diluted. And then it's just like, what what is this even anymore? You know, it just feels Um, like we're going back as people. Like, I don't know why we're going mm -hmm. back in time with stuff. Oh, well, um, so the way I look at that, it's, it's it's more like a cycle, a circle, really, like all of humanity. Uh, I think it's just circles that spiral forward over and over and over again. So, you know, we dealt with fascism uh, in the 40s and and uh, 50s and, you know, and then we came really far. And then, uh, you know, here we are kind of uh, falling back into that again. And, um, you know, it's really, really easy to get very like doomer, doomerish about it. I, I mean, I'm definitely one of those people, but I, at the same time, I try to have a more, um, I try to have a perspective that's a little more pulled back and looking at the bigger picture of like all of history and, just seeing that this is just what happens, you know, (laughs) like we move really far forward and then we take a bunch of steps backwards and then we move really far forward again and we take a bunch of steps backwards again. And I think this is just like how humanity works and has always kind of worked. Well, it's just like that even with fashion. Like I was at my friend's house yesterday and I, she was on TikTok, and there was some girl trying on some like, 80s looking jeans that I remember kids in the <laughs> 80s are wearing. And I was like, that's fashion now? She's like, yeah. Were they Jinkos? I don't know. No, they were like. Jinkos are from the 90s. No, that's right. That's right. You're right. My bad. They're right. <laughs> <laughs> they look like what you would consider like mom jeans or like, you know, it was very yeah. odd, man. I was like, what yeah. the fuck is this? She's like, yeah, I have a pair. And yeah. I was like, what? You so, don't go I mean, to a fucking thrift store and buy that shit. We can literally just look at jeans as far as that goes. So, yeah. you know, you have your bell bottoms in like the seventies of jeans and then that shit came back and, and the polyester shirts and shit. And I remember being in middle school and it was like, 
bell bottoms and polyester shirts was what I wanted. Yeah. And then um, the bell bottoms turned into more like flare jeans. Uh, and like, I still want to wear those, but that, then, so that was like early two thousands and like the low, uh, low cuts. So you could see your tummy. Well, mm. then now that, so it's basically it's every 20 years, we kind of emulate the fashion from the, the 20 years previously a little bit, um, especially with jeans. So yeah. And then it, it does feel like we're in this phase of mom jeans yeah. um, <laughs> with, with, you know, Gen Z and stuff. Um, but I, you know, that's cool. I'm just going to wear like what I feel comfortable in. And oftentimes that is the thing that was like from your coming of age time. I've noticed I'm kind of like, uh, both my partner and me have been really leaning into like our Gothic aesthetic over the past five years or so. Um, I'm loving it. <laughs> I always wonder, like when I see elderly people, like at Kroger, is that the clothes they got stuck in that time period? in? Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Like when I see an older person, they're always like, it's a, if it's a man, it's, they always have like, um, khakis and a shirt on a long sleeve shirt. Yeah, on. It could be, two, it could be, yeah, it could be 200 degrees and that's, and it's tucked in yeah. and they look really tucked nice. In. Yeah. I'm like, tucked in. <laughs> sure. so like our generation, like in 40 years are going to be wearing like Von Dutch and fucking affliction. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> right? That's no. what I wonder, man. Not me ever, but <laughs> Ed Hardy, Ed Hardy. <laughs> We're going to buzz out the Ed Hardy. So yeah. what do you do outside of your work? Like what are some of the other passions? Oh shit. Uh, well, definitely like van life, uh, traveling. Um, I, I snowboard in the winter and, uh, national parks, hiking and nature, um, disc golf. <laughs> I see these guys do that all the time at this park down the street from my house. Hell yeah. I love it. I love disc golf. We, when we were traveling in our van, it was basically like every time we came to a new city, we would find their disc golf courses and go play. Is that a professional um, sport? It is, yeah. It's just one of those you don't really hear about or see. But if you if you go on YouTube, you can watch professional um, games. And wow, they're incredible. Yeah, because one day <laughs> I was at the gym and I saw these guys playing cornhole professionally. Yeah, it, fucking sponsored. Okay. So I don't know if you remember uh, what's that movie, Dodgeball with yeah. the Ocho. Uh huh. I mean that that's that's a real thing. There oh, is wow, professional really? dodgeball. There's professional. I saw, I saw cornhole as well. I've seen uh, yeah, various little like bar games. There's there's, there's professional of like literally everything. <laughs> and what's insane is I saw like I I seen the cornhole thing he's talking about on ESPN, and I'm yeah. just looking at. I'm, I'm first off, it's on ESPN. That's huge. Yeah. Then you're like, you're looking Same at the, the yeah, then you, yeah, exactly. Then you're looking at all the ads that are being played during that cornhole and yeah. all the sponsors. I'm like, fuck, man, where'd all this money yeah. come from? Yeah. It's insane. And there's this like YouTuber that he makes uh, videos about horror, horror media. And um, he was at a fucking dodgeball tournament in wow. fucking Canada, <laughs> like an international dodgeball tournament. Like. So, yeah, that's real shit. But I, I love disc golfing because it's a sport that you can you can wander around, you can drink beers and you can smoke weed and you are outside and um, it's just chill and really, really fun. And I love it. <laughs> Is it like golf with strokes, I guess, like or how many yeah. throws? Yep. It's and exactly how many holes do you game. play? Uh, usually 18. 
Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know it was that some big. Some courses have nine and some courses have 27. How long has disc golf been around? Do you know? I think since like the 70s. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was something new. That's no, crazy. I think they were doing it in like uh, Santa Cruz, I believe, back in the 60s, 70s. Yeah. Man, that's an interesting right there. <laughs> well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I appreciate all the time you've given us so far. Uh, I yeah. like to ask like four questions if I can ask you. I actually okay. stole one of these questions from Stephen Colbert. Uh, <laughs> where do you think we go when we die? Oh, so I don't think there's like a we that goes anywhere. Um, I think that death is really like there's this consciousness inside of us. And um, I think that when we really like we have to release that consciousness gets released. Um, and I think it's a it's a beautiful mystery that only the dead know the answers to. Uh, I think we kind of just get like the energy that makes up who we are sort of gets reabsorbed back into the uh these are all for back of lack of better terms but the the universal fabric of uh existence and matter like i think that you know Ooh, i think we're a part of it now we're currently a part of it but when we pass um we just get fully absorbed back into it <laughs> that's good man i never thought about it like that because yeah like our energy has to go somewhere and we just go back to the earth or the universe yeah some something like that i i've done some pretty intense psychedelics experiences and i think it's just uh i think that the main thing is is that there is absolutely nothing to fear uh what's all what all psychedelics have you done Oh, um, well, I really like acid, um, mushrooms. Unfortunately, I, I can't do, they make me extremely sick. Uh, it's just so physically uncomfortable that I can't even yeah. enjoy the psychedelicness of it. Um, recently I got a hold of some DMT. Um, so on both of those things, I have had a uh, pretty profound, very profound, like ego death experiences. And, um, Let's see. I think uh, MDMA, if used in the right with the right intention, can also be a, a heart opening experience, for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, but I've I've done a lot of things. That the drugs that I am interested in, the substances that I'm interested in, are psychedelic in nature. I'm not really interested in like meth and heroin and cocaine and stuff like, like that. party that's, drugs. Yeah. 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 That have doesn't you, interest have, me. Have you ever thought of doing uh, ayahuasca? I heard that's a really yeah, good one. I thought a lot about doing it. Unfortunately, you know, it's just that same issue with the mushrooms. Like oh. I, I just, um, I don't want experiences where I have to endure through physical, uh, like extreme physical discomfort in order to have the experience. Uh, and I understand for a lot of people, that's part of the experience, um, the enlightenment that you might get from it, but that's just not appealing to me. And I think, and I know I can get it through these other means um, without, without uh, having to be in physical pain. <laughs> yeah, true. When you did DMT, did you blast off? Yeah. 
did it freak you out at first when you first saw it? Um, well, the first part of it, there was no like me to be freaked. Um, towards the end, when I started like having awareness again, like it, it came back very slowly and, um, the sort of message or maybe messenger who I was sort of communicating with in my consciousness mm-hmm. <laughs> was kind of like, I, I remember feeling like I was saying to it, um, I need to go back though to this comfortable space. And this messenger was saying like, go back where, but, but this is there, this, this is everywhere like where do you need to go back to this is it um and then I remember feeling a little bit of like a struggle with that until I remembered sort of like my training which is don't grasp so tightly to that concept of consciousness or reality or whatever like let it go and when I let it go it was really comfortable again because I was just like oh yeah well I accept that and this is and that's okay and then that's when I started like noticing my body more, like my armpits were sweaty and I was really thirsty. And then, so that like noticing that I had a body and I was experiencing these sort of needs around it. That's what like brought me back to the the world <laughs> back, back into my ego. Um, and the whole experience couldn't have been more than like five or six minutes. Yeah. And then, you know, 10 minutes after that, it was like, I could go drive a car or run a marathon or whatever the fuck I wanted to do. So that's why I think that's such a profound drug. How was your experience, Tony? On which one? DMT. Uh, when I did DMT, I did it twice in the same night. Uh, the first time it hit the back of my throat and my throat burned the whole experience, which was really uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. I saw these cool visuals I had never seen before. Yeah. And then I went back out in the room well, prior to that, the guy had sh- I walked into my buddy's house. He's like, hey, you want to try this? And I was like, okay, whatever. So I go to his house, and they're playing, like, this chanting music. I'm like, what the fuck am I getting into? Yeah, the music <laughs> is really, the music is important, too. The atmosphere is important. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, like, I had been sort of preparing myself for this for, for quite some time. Uh, you know, and I, I also did it twice in the same sitting. The second time just wasn't as deep. Yeah, and then so, like, he showed me the pipe, which I thought looked like a crack pipe. And so we go back in the back, like I said, it hit the back of my throat. And then I came back out, and they're like, did you blast off? And I'm like, no. They're like, hey, yeah. you got to do it again. And I'm like, god damn, man. So I go back yeah. there, and I hit it, and I like, in, I inhale, and then I release this big puff of smoke coming out of my mouth. And yeah. the guy was like, whoa. And I was like, man, what the fuck does that mean? Like, <laughs> and so no, I... I lay down. Yeah, I lay down and this vibration came over my body that I've never felt before. It was so weird. And I close my eyes and I see this like like a bright like burst. And I open my eyes. I was like, what the fuck was that? And I said, stop being a bitch. Stop being a bitch. So I close my eyes. I just remember like feeling like I did get lifted off somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then I felt like, like I said, the vibration I had never felt before. I saw these cool patterns that I had never seen before. I saw these little people going up and down the spine. It was very strange, yeah. but I liked yeah. it. Like you said, it's really quick. And then yeah. the music felt like it was in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, yeah. since I've done, I've done mushrooms a handful of times. The first time I did it, I saw a bunch of art and I saw this, like this man surfing this mountain, which was cool. The last time I did it, I did kind of a bigger dose and I saw nothing but death, 
but it wasn't fearful. Yeah. Though. Well, then, yeah, that's good. I've done uh, I've done ayahuasca once, and with oh, wow. that one, I was like always heard everybody's experience like they vomit and they cry. My buddy tells me he shits himself. Yeah, my and friend I, says that too. And I was like, man, what the fuck? I was like, you know, you only live once as far as we know. So I was like, might as well try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I go there. They had the shaman. The shaman's like, have you ever done ayahuasca before? Or did you do any research on it? And I was like, yes, I've done research on it, but I've never done it before. And they were like, well, your experience is not going to be what somebody else's experience. So to yeah, me, that was like yeah. very comforting. And yeah. then, like, uh, we did this thing called rape, where they blow this smoke up, uh, this nicotine up your uh, nose with that burn. Like, it smelled like it felt yeah, like chlorine. I know what that, is. that stuff's weird. It was terrible. Yeah. And then I took my cup, and I was sitting there, and my buddy had told me when he did it, he saw like this green orb came down upon him, and uh, so this lady was across, and she's like, "As soon as I do this, I'm gonna start crying." So this, she cried the whole night. Uh, then I was expecting like to throw up because that's what I always heard, which I didn't end up vomiting that day. But yeah. um, I felt like somebody lifted me up. I saw a friend of mine that killed himself in the vision yeah. and mm-hmm. we had a conversation, but he didn't talk. It was very weird. It's hard to describe. Yeah. Like I my buddy when, when before I did it, he told me it's like trying to explain color to a person that has never seen color before. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And then after I did it, I could see what he's talking. I mean, that's even like with mushrooms and even DMT. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I think all in all, it's good. I mean, there's a lot of people that get healed. My favorite part of the whole experience was we did a fire ceremony outside. And there was like yeah. 17 of us. And you're supposed to throw into the fire what you want to let go. Like you're supposed to heal yourself or whatever. Yeah. And there were people that talked about how they beat trauma, how they beat addiction, how they love themselves now. That to me yeah. was the beautiful. And not even my experience, the people feeling healed from this medicine. So yeah. I think if people can get this, like I'm, I've watched this thing on Netflix is like how to change your mind. And they were yes, talking about how yes, they yes. did like, uh, yeah, that guy's an author. Yeah. And they're talking about how like back in the day when they were testing stuff there, there's people that had addiction problems that did this and they beat it. But then the government comes in and is like, no, fuck y'all. And it's just yes. like, you know, yeah. I think now they're kind of doing stuff yeah. with people with PTSD, which is good. They are. But, they uh, are. That Johns Hopkins has a whole psychedelic research center. Like it's things are changing in, for the psychedelic medicine um, for sure. Yeah. So like, I think that is good. And I wish because right, yeah. I mean, because like they say, there's people that kill themselves every day. And if they could do something that's not dulling their their brain with these stupid pills. Totally. And, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah, the pills for sure. But also sometimes people have medication resistant depression. Mm. Um, and you know what works for them? Ketamine. And mushroom therapy and all these things that the government, you know, just because they wanted to do a racism back in the 60s and 50s, like decided to make illegal because of the racism. And they would rather have people be in prison, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, yeah, moving it's, on. It's true. It's, <laughs> no, you're right. It's what, what you just said is true, though. I know. <laughs> Nobody can deny that. And, and, and they, yeah. obviously there are people that say that's not true. The government would never fucking do that. You're a yeah. fucking dumbass. Please stop talking yeah. to me. And the thing, too, about it, there's, like, everybody can have good and bad trips. And I think that should be understood. But I think for the most part, most people have positive experiences with it. I think that it's not the trip that's good or bad. It's our perspective about the trip. Mm. We decide if that was a bad trip. But if that was something that was, like, a negative experience for you, then you have to, like, look at it and be like, why? What was being shown to me that I had a hard time with? 
Do you That's think it's one of those things too, where you're some people try to be in control too much, and it's one of those things where you just kind of have to let yes. the wheel go. Exactly. Yes, a hundred percent. I don't know if you ever saw this movie called Jacob's Ladder. It sounds very about familiar. It. Oh, please go watch it, uh, Tim uh, Robbins, and it's fucking beautiful. It was like marketed as a horror film, but no. It's it's like a philosophical film. And there's this scene where he's like in a nightmare and this doctor character is saying, you know, they say that when you die, if you cling to existence, it's like your soul is being torn apart by demons. But if you accept your death, it's like you're being lifted away on the wings of angels. And I think that's the difference between like, yeah, uh, when you go into a psychedelic experience, you have to be ready to be lifted by angels um, and to let go of that need for control of your consciousness. Yeah, I think it I don't know. We, I like meditating and preparing to go into an experience like that with intention. Yeah, uh, I think is really important. You know, when I was younger, I was like, yeah, let's fucking take ass and go to Coachella. Like, have fun, you know? <laughs> and that was great. And I fucking value those memories and experiences. But, like, now I'm almost 40 and I want to have, I want to be having, like, different experiences. You know, yeah. I want to use the medicine as a medicine, as a tool for, like, further enlightenment. Yeah, I think it can really help a lot of people out. We've been trying to get Raul to do it, but he refuses. What? Any of the psychedelics. Oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. Um, I'm a pussy. I'm not doing it. I I just (laughs) want to know what your fear is of it. That's the thing. I don't know what's going to happen. and I'm not going to be in control. That's the fear. But you drink? (laughs) Okay, that's very true. I do drink a lot. (laughs) So you don't have control if you consume too much alcohol. That is. And this has a, that has a worse effect, you know, long term. With With the medicine, there's not a, I mean, there's not a bad effect. Like I said, I mean, anything can be bad, but yeah. I'm just saying it just seems to me like, I mean, you have to be, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it, obviously. But I know but, you guys want me to yeah. try it to help me. I know that's what you guys want me to do. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. They're not pushing it like a fucking, like a dope boy or something. You know, he's not trying no. to push ayahuasca down my yeah. throat. Like, right. hold him, hold no, him. <laughs> we got to pour it down your mouth. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My last three questions are, okay. there's this whole movement where I love it where they're talking about giving people flowers. So like you give people appreciation while they're alive, because generally we don't hear good stuff about us enough. Um, And I think that sometimes we think good things about people, but we don't tell them. And like, what's the point of telling somebody when they're gone? Cause we don't know if they can hear us or not. I mean, you can tell it to their family, but to the actual person, that's the most important thing. So who in your life would you like to give appreciation or flowers to? Oh, you know, I, I hope that, um, you know, my husband, my brother, my mom, my grandma, uh, you know, I hope they know how much I care for them and love them. I try to make sure everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, because I, like I said, I think that's one of the things that me as a person, I've been trying, one, work on empathy, and then two, work on telling people what I think about them in a good way. Yeah, it's good for everyone. It's good for you. It's good for them you know, just more light, more positivity. Yeah. Cause I think like, especially as men, there's this whole thing where it's weird no. to like be considered like to have a feeling of emotion. It. It's just ridiculous, man. Like, like if men weren't that supposed to cry, 
we wouldn't have tear ducts. I watched a video the other day. It was an Instagram reel, and they were talking. So, like, this person went up to a guy. He's like, who do you talk to when you have something going on? He's like, what do you mean? Nobody. Like, I deal with it. And he keeps on asking different people, and every guy he asked pretty much said they just ball it up. They don't talk about shit. And that's what we're having yeah, problems so with like, now. Geez, I wonder why we have all these, like, mass shootings and stuff. 100%. That yeah, that that's – man, I don't know what's going on with that, but – Something needs to change with that, and maybe they need to take. Like maybe, that's part of it. That's yeah. part of it. That this 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 perpetuation of this, of toxic masculinity. You're a man. You're supposed to look like this. You're supposed to act like this. Like those ideas are so fucking outdated, and they're just demonstrably wrong on so many levels. Yeah. And uh, I'm really just disgusted by uh, you know figures who try to perpetuate that in the media. Um, I, I just, I think it's doing such a disservice to men. Uh, we treat men as though they don't have feelings because that's like how they're taught to behave. And I think that they bottle everything up and that's why you have them get a gun and go and try to kill the people who are causing them all this pain, you know? Yeah. Then it's usually the immigrants or fucking gay people or whatever the case may be, you know? So that, I mean, just from what you said, I know you don't like Andrew Tate. Who? Uh, Andrew Tate. Okay. He's, I actually don't know that person. Uh, so he's this guy that got, he's been banned from like every platform now. Um, he like talks yeah. like women should, like pretty much women belong in the kitchen still to sum it up. Yeah. There's a lot of those guys. There's a lot of people that are like that. And then there are women who are like, we should be in the kitchen and our men should be doing these things. Um, you know, just. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I don't like that. Well, I think they're, I think I feel sorry for them. I pity them because they are so lost. Yeah. I made a, I made a, I posted a picture or something like that a couple of weeks ago and somebody got on my, on my picture on Facebook and they said, well, why is the, why is the woman, a man shouldn't talk about his feelings and a man doesn't have to express himself to, that's what it was. A man doesn't have to express himself to his son or daughter to say they love you. What he provides is I the love. that too, that like Superman thing. Yeah, I think that's what it was. And like, and, and it's the mom's job to nurture them, not the man's. I was like, you are so, I didn't respond because I don't do that anymore. But like, exactly. I'm like, dude, you're fucking thinking, like he doesn't have any children, I don't think. I was like, if he does, he needs to go hug his kids because- you know, that's the problem. Well, I think the issue is that you're generally a product of your environment and they're a product of that. It's like, so as it just goes as a chain link back and back. So it has to be a point where people break the cycle. So like if your parents were bad, it doesn't mean you have to be a bad parent or a bad person. You know, you just have to shift your mold. It's not easy to, it's not easy. Self-reflection is never easy to look inward and be like, yeah. okay, am I the problem? What do I need to change? Do I like this about the way I was raised? Do I need to change my surroundings? So I think when more people start doing that and more people talk loudly about the good stuff in the world and being a good person, like you said, the golden rule, basically, um, yeah. I think we're going to start seeing better because like the world and all in all, it's good. I think most people are inherently good. Unfortunately, there's just a couple of shitty people that get a lot of attention they for their shittiness. So much. Um, they so much fucking attention. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, alrighty. What's uh? What's your last question? Then? All right, and the uh, last one is, oh, what? What's your advice for people, and what <sighs> mark do you see yourself leaving on the world? 
Oh, well, advice. I mean, basically everything we talked about up to this point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the mark that I want to leave on the world. So I, I did this really awesome um, sound bath, like gong ceremony thing um, probably about six years ago and uh, totally stone sober and had through this, this, this gong ceremony, I highly recommend it. crazy what sound can do to your um your mind i had a vision like in and it was just like all of a sudden i knew that my purpose in life is to inspire people so the mark i want to leave is just like i want to inspire people to be more authentic to who they are to be to let go of fear and shame um and to make this world like in my own little space, in my own little way, in my own little influences, I want people to feel more, uh, more free to be their authentic selves. I want to encourage people to just be true to themselves without shame, without fear. And I also want them to, um, recognize like how short of a time that we have here and hope that they can try to like take it by the reins and live the life they want. (laughs) That's awesome. Because like I said, we just had a two hour conversation with you and you're just a person. So it's just like, I mean, there's, there is nothing that's different than you, than me and him across certain person sitting across from me right now. So it's like, if you can just treat everybody the same and be kind you know, everything's going to be better instead of just demonizing somebody for one thing or another. Yeah. I, I, I have a dream of like a better, a better world, but I, you know, we're just going to keep going through these cycles. Um, and that's just how it's going to be. But I think, you know, my thing is like, I just want to try to be the change that I want to see in the world. And hopefully that spreads out that has a ripple effect. And that's that's all I can do. Yeah, because I always quote this Tupac quote. He talks about, uh, I might not change the world, but I guarantee you I'll spark the brain of the person that will. And he's like, maybe yeah. I might not do something, but I'm not going to stop promoting good shit or trying to help somebody else out because I'm not doing it. Like, that's selfish. You always have to be the better example. You want to leave the world better than when you came in it. Yep. So that's That's all I'm trying to do, even if I'm only reaching like a few people with what I do and stuff. That's. That's enough for me. So where can yeah. everybody find you at? Okay. So sin-sage.com is the best place. I have all of my things there. Um, onlyfans.com slash sin-sage. Uh, you spell my name, S-I-N-N-S-A-G-E. So yeah, you can find me all those places. And then uh, at sin-sage on Twitter, at real sin-sage on Instagram, and I've got a many vid store and a clips for sale store. All that stuff is on my uh, website. My website is also where I saw the little featurettes and full length um, movies that I create uh, for my queer porn uh, brand. And um, yeah, I make like real authentic lesbian queer content uh, as well as a variety of fun little fetishes and things like that. So if any stuff like that interests you, um, you should check out my, my work. 
we appreciate your time. Like I said, that you didn't have to do this and it has been fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was a great conversation. I, I wish I had more time, um, but thank you so much for having me on too. Maybe we can do great. it again one day. Sure. I'd love to. All right. All right have you. a good rest of your weekend. All right. Thank you so much. And um, y'all have a great weekend too. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. bye.